Again this evening, we are continuing our look and study through John Stott's book, The Radical Disciple. Uh, I can't believe how much I am being challenged by it on every page that he uh, writes, so much so that as I have been visiting different groups of teams that are in outreach over the past number of weeks, I've been suggesting that if there's one book they buy this summer, this should be it. We've reached a chapter that is entitled Maturity. And so tonight we'll come and think what it means to be mature in Christ. But maturity, it's something that when we were young we all wanted to be because we thought maturity was just about being old. And in a person's life there are many signs of maturity. Some of them are you want to listen to the news on the hour, every hour. You are the one now calling the police because of the noise next door. You have jumped from listening to Cool FM or Radio 1 to either Radio Ulster, Radio 2, Radio 4, or Classic FM. You choose to be a member of a local library rather than having it enforced on you. 6 a.m. becomes the time you get up rather than the time you go to bed. You hear your favorite song played in an elevator, and perhaps you even dare to sing along to it. Your car insurance goes down and your payments go up. Sleeping on the couch makes your back hurt, as I discovered this afternoon. And you no longer or and you no longer take naps from noon to six PM because you know that you can get a good night's sleep whenever you have a sensible sleeping schedule. And you know that this is a sign of maturity whenever you listen to this list and you desperately look for signs that there's one thing doesn't uh, apply to you. Maturity. It's different for us all. As I came across that list on the internet, I was amused thinking, yeah, that could well be me. Because we all like to think that we've progressed on this path of maturity. And tonight, we're going to look at what it means to be mature. We'll be thinking about moving from that state of being called a youth into a state of adulthood, not a physical one, but a spiritual adulthood. One thing I've learned as I've spent time in Africa and in the church in Africa, and I think this is a good reflection on the church in the developing worlds, there is phenomenal growth. And we hear the stories coming from India and China of how churches are meeting with thousands of people that have grown just over a matter of a few short years. And you hear stories of large crusades where hundreds are coming to Christ in one day. And I hear these same reports, but after these reports, you begin to hear something else. You begin to hear what the church leaders are saying. And it's usually the sad remark that although there is huge growth, there is little depth in the day-to-day living for and following of Jesus Christ. And one description has been that the church is a mile wide, but an inch deep. In other words, there are many people to cover what we know as church, but whenever we get down to the roots of living, the church is only an inch deep. People realize that Jesus is the answer to their lives, but they don't know how to continue in a life with him. 
to become mature and complete in their faith. And I dare say, not only is this in the developing world, but also in the developed world, the Western world, the culture that we know. And it is a serious situation. Not because we say so or know so, but because the apostles whose letters we find in the New Testament rebuke the leaders of the churches that they write to for their immaturity and urge them to grow up. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3, Paul says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? And are you not acting like mere men? I think if someone said those words to us today, we would be shocked and probably offended as well. In our human nature, we don't like the thought that we are children or seen as children whenever we are grown adults. But the point Paul is making is that although adults in terms of our physical maturity, we are infants when it comes to growth in Jesus Christ. And in Colossians, uh, the first chapter that we read earlier this evening, verses 28 to 29, he says this, we proclaim him that is Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. For us, In Kirkpatrick today, it's been a little bit of a Greek day. We've had Greek this morning, and I want to present to you another Greek word this evening. If you have your Bible open, uh, excuse me, towards the end of verse 28, we have the word perfect. And the Greek word that this comes from is teleos, perfect, or to be mature. And this Greek adjective occurs 19 times in the New Testament, and whether it is translated as perfect or mature depends on its context. It rarely, if ever, means complete or absolute perfection. It doesn't mean that there is this idea that you will be, reach that stage of perfection without fault, but rather the person or the teleos is contrasted with the child or infant. So in the sense uh, of mature of being mature in Christ, that's how we're going to think and understand about it best. So looking at maturity, we're going to look at it by asking three questions. And they're the three questions that John Stott poses in his chapter based on Colossians 1, 28 to 29. And the first and probably the most essential question to ask is, what is Christian maturity? If we're honest Defining maturity is hard to pin down. And if we're honest again, most of us suffer from lingering immaturities. Even as grown adults, there's still a little bit of the child in us. And the world encourages often to find that inner child because the world tells us that when we find the inner child, well, that will stop the aging process. And at times there's an impness to us as well. I'm sure as you look at the one standing in front of you, 
you would think surely he would never get up to any mischief or misbehavior in any form of summer camp or mission. And you know, we had our campers fool like that as well. Because let's face it, there's a little bit of the child still in us who wants to recapture those days that seem so memorable and fond to us. But maturity calls for more. Maturity calls for a life, especially spiritual maturity, that has a sole purpose of following Jesus and his ways. And we know that there are different types of maturity. There is physical maturity, having a well and healthy developed body, intellectual maturity, having a trained mind and a coherent worldview, Moral maturity, referring to people who have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, as Hebrews 5 verse 14 puts it. And there is emotional maturity, having a balanced personality, able to establish relationships and assume responsibilities. And then, as we've mentioned already, there is spiritual maturity. But what is spiritual maturity? And it's interesting as we read the Apostle's words in this. He says that spiritual maturity is maturity in Christ. That is, having a mature relationship with Christ. Paul's most common way of defining Christians is to say that they are men and women in Christ. Not meaning inside Christ as clothes in a wardrobe or tools in a toolbox, but rather as the branches that are in the vine or limbs that are in the body, that is, united to Christ. As Stott puts it, to be in Christ is to be personally, vitally, organically related to him. In this sense, to be mature is to have a mature relationship with Christ in which we worship, trust, love, and obey him. So that's what maturity in Christ is. It's a mature relationship, understanding who Christ is, what he has done, and having a relationship in which we worship, trust, love, and obey him. So we move to our second question. If we have thought about what Christian maturity is, we must ask, well, how do Christians become mature? And this is where verse 28 of Colossians chapter 1 helps us out. And this is its structure. We proclaim Christ so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We proclaim Christ so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. If Christian maturity is about maturity in our relationship to Jesus in which we worship, trust, and obey him, then the clearer our vision is of Christ, the more convinced we become that he is worthy of our commitment. This is what we were thinking about this morning, having an accurate view of who Jesus is. Because once we have this, we can understand everything of him and know our place in all of God's created world. Jim Packer, in a well-known book, Knowing God, in his introduction, writes that we are pygmy Christians because we have a 
pygmy God. In other words, we are small or little Christians because our view and understanding of God is small. And we could equally say that we are pygmy Christians because we have a pygmy Christ. Again, our view of Christ is small, not in its fullness of what it should be. And if we were to look around the world, and we were to look at what the world offers us on its menu of religion, we would see that there are many Jesuses on offer. The majority of these are false Christs, distorted Christs, caricatures of the authentic Jesus. And today we can look and find a Jesus who is a capitalist and a Jesus who is a socialist, both in competition with each other. Then there is a Jesus who is ascetic, ascetic, competing with a Jesus who is the glutton. And then, of course, there are the portrayals of Jesus as we know them in the musicals. Jesus the clown in Godspell and Jesus Christ superstar, being that musical rock star. And there are many more that we see all around us, but they have all been defective. They are not, are not one of them deserves any of our worship and our service because they are distorted views of the true Jesus. Each one is what Paul calls another Jesus, a Jesus different from the Jesus the apostle proclaimed. So if we want to develop true Christian maturity, we need a fresh and true vision of Jesus Christ. Paul sets out the absolute supremacy of Jesus in the first few verses of our passage, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and he says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have, yes, to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is how Paul masterfully paints a portrait of Jesus. And can we start to catch a glimpse of this? Do we start to, to get an idea of who Jesus is? That he was there long before time ever came to be, long before the world was ever created. In fact, it was created by him and for him. This is the Jesus that we are to worship. This is the Jesus of whom we are to have an accurate view. So where should we be but on our faces before him in worship if this is truly who he is? We need to get rid of our petty, puny, pygmy Jesuses 
away with our Jesus clowns and pop stars, away with our political messiahs and revolutionaries. These are all caricatures of who the true Jesus is. And if we see Jesus other than how we find him portrayed in Colossians, then there is no wonder that our immaturities persist. So, our second question, how do Christians become mature? The answer, it seems to me, is to find the authentic Jesus. Find him in the Bible, the book as described by Stott as the Father's portrait of the Son painted by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is full of Christ. He himself uh, said that the Scriptures testify about me, John 5 and 39. Jerome, one of the early church fathers, wrote that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Equally, we may say that knowledge of Scripture is knowledge of Christ, gaining an accurate view of who he is. So as we think of this about how we live, how nine o'clock will come, we will leave this place, and we must put into practice and action what we learn from God. How are our times in God's Word outside of our Sunday services and our group Bible studies? How often are we getting into God's Word to discover the real Jesus Do we enjoy reading Scripture, or is it one of those things that we feel we have to do, just like we have to empty the bins in our homes, even though we don't really like doing it? Do we treat Scripture with a take-it-or-leave-it attitude? And allow me to be honest for one moment, and let me say to you that my track record of personal Bible reading isn't great, and the excuses are many. But as I reflect on times in my life when I have known a greater sense of God, when I've spent time in his word, those times haven't raised me to some spiritual high that is just for a moment. But as I look back, there have been times that at that moment have grounded me in a deeper knowledge of who God is. And my shame is that I haven't stuck in those times. If you signed up for reading the Bible in a year, how did it go for you? I'm sure it was tough going at times, but if you stuck with it, how much blessing have you known? Because you have started to catch a glimpse of the real Jesus. The only way we can discover who Jesus is, is by getting to know him. And the only way we can do that is by coming to his word and allowing God to speak to us, speak into us about who he is, about his character, and therefore the character of his only begotten Son who came that we might have the freedom to live for him and to know him. We must move to our final question. We've considered what is Christian maturity and how Christians become mature And we must ask the third question of to whom is this call of Christian maturity directed to? And in our passage, Paul uses the word everyone. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And the reason why Paul uses the word everyone and why he stresses it 
It may miss us unless we take a moment to think of why it's there. At the time of writing, Paul knew that the church and the Christians in Colossae were dealing with an embryonic Gnosticism. Gnostics, Gnosticism, were people who believed that they had a secret and special knowledge of Jesus and the things of Christ that others did not have. They taught that there were two classes or categories of Christians. On the one hand, there were those, the common herd as they called them, who were united by faith. And on the other hand, there were those who were seen as elite, who had been initiated into a special gnosis, a special club or a special knowledge. Things that were kept secret from everyone else, but given to them so that they could be the spiritual leaders. And Paul was horrified with this idea of Christian elitism. And as the church grew from this time, the Gnostics grew as well. And time and time again, the church fathers tried to bring the Gnostics down. They eventually succeeded in many ways. But each of these leaders, going right back to Paul, were horrified by this sense of an elitism. So in his teaching, he made clear And he made very sure that the gospel message was the same for everyone and that there were no groups of people who had access to a special knowledge. There were no and are no categories in the Christian faith. And just today, there are no people with special knowledge given to them by God. Everyone has the chance to read his word, to understand it and learn the things of God. There are no secrets. There is no no special knowledge that creates this class system within the body of Christ. So the call to maturity in Christ is for everyone. It's for you and it's for me. There is no division or distinction by academic standards or social class. Each of us has an entitlement to grow in Christ. And we can't escape it. If we profess living faith in Jesus Christ, we are to mature in him. We're to become like him by getting an accurate vision of who he is. So, how are you going to do this? How are you going to become mature in the faith to be a radical disciple? of Jesus Christ. Stop a moment and think. How in the week ahead are you going to spiritually mature in Christ? Can you ensure there are time each or there is time each day to read your Bible and pray? to get to grips with the knowledge of who Jesus is and who he says he is. Not treating it as a chore, but something to enjoy as we enjoy having coffee with a friend and as we get to know them so we can get to know Christ in reading his word. Can you set your mind to gain an accurate portrait of Jesus? So actively going out to look 
as we read in Scripture and as we read those who comment on Scripture to find out, well, who is the true, authentic Jesus so that the vision of Jesus that we can have in our minds is true and will be the one thing that is our foundation and our solid ground? And can you help others to mature in faith as together we walk along the spiritual path by praying together, sharing the things of Christ together and our knowledge together of who he is, sharing about what we are learning, learning of what that beautiful portrait is of Jesus Christ. In all of this, in all of this development of maturity, Paul's goal was very pastoral. It was about caring for each other. First, of course, to mature as individuals and then to see others mature so that everyone may be presented mature before Christ. So let's do it together. Let's discover Jesus and live for him, having nothing to do with made-up Jesuses that can never satisfy, but discovering the real Jesus who can lead us to his Father in heaven. May God give us such a full, clear vision of Jesus as we desire to become the radical disciples of him. Let's pray.